It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, this is a treat. If you are a criminal, my next guest is a man whose number you need on speed dial. If you are a neoconservative, my next guest is someone whose foreign policy arguments and more importantly, his energy are something you need to learn to parrot. If you're someone who is fastidious about how their Subway sandwiches are prepared, my next guest is your brother in solidarity. But if you're someone that only likes hearing talking points from someone who always sees the world through a left-wing perspective or a right-wing perspective, just stop listening now because I guarantee you my next guest is about to say something you don't like. By now, you've probably guessed I am being joined by renowned criminal defense attorney in an era where not too many criminal defense attorneys even try cases anymore and the host of a terrific podcast called Beyond the Legal Limit, the one and only Jeffrey Lickman. Jeffrey, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. And that was a wonderful introduction. It, it ha- happens to be true every uh, every every syllable. Uh, let me ask you about some of the news that you've been making lately. It seems like you're always making news, or at least your clients are. A lot of people remember your representation of El Chapo. I sat uh, during your remarkably entertaining and comprehensive summation at the El Chapo trial. You also represented uh, El Chapo's wife. She's now out of prison. And now, from what I understand, you're representing his son, Ovidio Guzman. How do you think this case looks from a a defense perspective? It's hard to tell, I would say, uh, this early. He was extradited a week ago. We expected it to happen perhaps sometime in the late spring. Uh, All of a sudden, out of nowhere, he's extradited. I'm sure there was some high-level deal between the Mexican and American governments. I went down to see him last week. We did the arraignment. I don't know how much of this case is similar to his father's because we haven't received the evidence yet. But look, uh, we're going to have a choice. The choice is to go to trial and and fight them to the death, or they're going to give us a deal that we can live with. It's one or the other. So sometimes in cases of this level, the clients in the eyes of the government are so bad that there's just never a deal. You have to go to trial and either win or lose. And that may be where we're at with a video. You know, Ovidio Guzman is like a lot of clients that you've had over the years. Obviously, I got to know you about 20 years ago when you were representing John Gotti Jr. You hear the name Gotti. You just assume that he's guilty. You hear John Gotti, doubly so. The junior is almost an afterthought. The Ovidio Guzman is almost in that same position where I think a lot of the people listening to us right now in the potential jury pool, they just assume, of course, he's guilty of whatever the government claims. How difficult, without getting into the facts of this case necessarily, how difficult is it to overcome the perception that everyone in the potential jury pool just assumes your client is guilty? You know, that's a good question, Frank. And as you know, I've been dealing with this sort of uh, difficulty since uh, the Gotti trial in 2005. And, And all my trials are like this. I don't get the cases, for whatever reason, I don't get the cases that are close. I don't get the ones where... 
you should win if you're a competent lawyer. I get the ones that the government goes to trial with because they're certain they can't lose. And these are the ones that I either win or get a hung jury, you know, 75% of the time. So I expect to go in there and have everybody hate my client, be prepared to convict before uh, jury selection even starts. It's my job. And the reason why I get paid and the reason why I'm good at this is that I think I can connect with juries and convince them to have an open mind, to look past the name and try to imagine how would they feel if it was their loved one or themselves that were in this horrible spot um, going to trial against the all-powerful government. They would want their jury uh, to have an open mind, and that's all I ask for. One of the cases where a lot of people are viewing this differently, depending on where they sit on the political spectrum, is this Hunter Biden case. He's now been indicted by uh, the Weiss, the special uh, special counsel here, the U.S. attorney as well. And a lot of conservatives say this whole case is a textbook example of Hunter Biden getting special treatment because of who his father is and who he is and who he's connected to. A lot of defenders of Hunter say, yes, he is getting special treatment. He's being singled out for worse treatment because of conservative media highlighting the Hunter Biden case. One of the reasons I love talking to you, especially about legal issues, is because you kind of call balls and strikes and you kind of call BS when you see it. How do you view the Hunter Biden case and how he's being treated in this indictment? Well, first of all, the Hunter Biden case, as we see it, is the one that's indicted, the only one which is lying on his gun application. Um, I think that most people probably would not get charged if that was the only charge against them. It's too small of a case. The fact that it was charged. So in that sense, I understand what the defenders of Hunter Biden are saying. However, it's a five second resolution. Um, Nobody goes to jail for such a thing. It's impossible to go to jail for such a thing. So I certainly agree with the Hunter Biden uh, detractors. What it is clearly, and anybody who knows anything about the system knows, is that they gave the red meat to the Hunter Biden detractors and said, look, we indicted him, we indicted him. It's just a distraction. The real stuff that he should be indicted for, they really did that was bad, is the stuff that relates to his father. The gun case does not relate to his father, which is why they so happily charged it. He should be investigated and indicted and ultimately convicted for failing to register as a foreign agent. That's what you go to jail for. That's what Joe Biden was involved in. And that's how they made so much money without ever working jobs that create any real income. So what they're doing is they're throwing the red meat uh, to the public and saying, look how hard we're being on Hunter Biden. But they're clearly not going anywhere near Joe Biden. They're not indicting a Hunter for anything important. And it's just another complete, utter waste of time and a disgraceful uh, travesty of justice. Another case that's been in the news is the Friday indictment of uh, New Jersey Senator Bob Menendez. Very different situation politically than his previous indictment. His previous indictment, the Democrats all over the state of New Jersey, really all over the country, rallied to his defense. This time around, Governor Murphy has called for him to resign. Several members of Congress have called for him to resign. I think a big part of that is the fact that his successor would be appointed by a Democrat rather than a Republican, which would have been the case last time. But uh, based on what you know, the facts of this case, there are a lot of salacious details, gold bars, cash, halal meat. Based on what you know of this case, how does it look? 
Well, he's obviously guilty. I mean, just as he was obviously guilty in the 2000 and what was it, 17 trial. Um, he, he's a criminal. He's a grifter. He's always been a criminal. He's always been taking bribes. And in this case, I mean, it's literally laid out with his new wife, who was apparently uh, an agent of Egypt before um, she even met Menendez. I mean, it's all right there out in their texts and emails and the gold bars and the cash that were found in his pockets with the DNA of the people that bribed them. I mean, it's absolutely disgraceful. So, of course, he's guilty. The problem is that New Jersey is a leftist. Am I allowed to say bad words, Frank, on this? It's in the middle of the night. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather you not. Can I say, okay, well, New Jersey is a leftist hole, and they're clearly there's going to be very difficult times in convicting him because there's going to be at least one or two jurors. They're going to say, look, we don't care uh, that he's guilty. We need to protect our Democratic hero, just as they did in the last trial. So I don't think that a conviction is going to be so easy, even though he's clearly guilty. Um, and, and that's really the bottom line. If I'm the defense lawyer, I'm just looking to put up enough mud, throw enough mud against the wall to convince one or two not to convict because they didn't convict last time, even though he was guilty. What did he do after? He certainly didn't stop taking bribes. He ran for reelection and won uh, like in a landslide. Got 54 now this of the would, vote, I believe. Because it's being prosecuted in the Southern District, I guess the people that are on the jury wouldn't be his constituents. Does that uh, does that help in terms of getting a conviction? And then the other question I have about this is the Supreme Court has sort of loosened the definition of bribery for public officials with that McDonald case. And a lot of elected officials have seen their bribery convictions overturned because they've said the Supreme Court, there's got to be a direct quid pro quo. Does that help Menendez at all? I don't I don't think it'll really help. I think that being in the Southern District of uh, New York doesn't make a difference. It's the same leftist slop of a uh, of a jury pool, whether it's uh, northern New Jersey or uh, the Southern District of New York. It's the same leftist slop Uh, in terms of the quid pro quo. I don't think that case helps Menendez. I mean, it's clear that it was a quid pro quo. Their defense is going to be, look, you may not like how this works, but this is how we do business in Washington. Um, we help our friends. Uh, they help us. Uh, they don't bribe us. But, you know, these are people that are raising money. I mean, this is what gets done. Um, and I, I suspect that's the only defense you can use. And whether it convinces one idiot on the juror or jury or not, I'm not aware. But he's not going to stop until he's uh, put in the cage. I mean, I think that's clear. But the idea, by the way, Frank, that he's the only guy in the Senate that's on the take is preposterous. Well, yeah, that's what I wonder is how how much of this is just kind of business as usual in Washington. Could anybody be roped into a similar indictment when it comes to doing favors for donors or taking lavish gifts from people that may benefit from your interceding on their behalf? Of course. As I said, you know, you've got Mitch who from Kentucky who's never made $200,000 a year in his entire life. In his entire life, Frank, he's been working in in government jobs since he's, what, 31 years old? He's worth $35 million. You've got Nancy Pelosi, who's been in Congress since, what, 1867? (laughs) She's worth $200 million. These people don't make any income. They steal money. They take bribes. This is how things get done. And look, and I, and I hate to bring it up, 
But uh, Menendez's co-defendant in the other case, the 2017 case, was convicted. This is the crooked eye doctor who stole $73 million right, from Dr. Medicare and was, and was accused of uh, going to underage prostitutes in the Dominican Republic with Menendez. He gets convicted. He gets 17 years. He also was a big fundraiser for the Democratic Party. This is not somebody that I would consider to be MAGA family values, would you? No, but he did get his sentence commuted by President Trump then. There you go. You, you, you fell right into the little trap I laid for you. Of course, <laughs> Trump, who you would think as a MAGA wake up and pray up kind of dot, you know, guy that he is, why would he want to help a Democratic fundraiser who uh, stole $73 million from America and, and has sex with underage prostitutes? Well, the idea that there wasn't some kind of <laughs> payoff there is ludicrous. Why would he want to give a, a pardon to Lil Wayne? Suddenly Trump is into rappers? I have no doubt. I don't know if Trump received the money or people close to him that were pushing the pardons and the requests for uh, commuted sense. Somebody got paid off, Frank. That's just how it works in Washington. Uh, so since you mentioned Trump, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Jeffrey Lickman. You can hear his podcast regularly. It's called Beyond the Legal Limit. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Also a renowned criminal defense attorney, one of the best in the country. The presidential race, obviously, we're getting closer and closer to the first primaries. There's another debate this week that Trump is not participating in. Last time we spoke, last several times we spoke, basically, you had said that if the Republicans nominated someone other than Trump, like a DeSantis, it would be an easy victory. It's a much tougher road to hoe for the Republicans. Since those conversations, we've seen three or four Trump indictments, and we've seen Trump's poll numbers within the GOP skyrocket. Now he's opened up quite a lead over DeSantis and everyone else. How do you view the presidential race right now? Do you think DeSantis still has a shot to be competitive? And what should he be doing in the debate this week? DeSantis is finished. I mean, that's clear. He got horrible advice. He didn't uh, jump into the race early. He allowed Trump and his uh, cronies to uh, lambast him in the media, saying horrible lies about him, talking about the size of his penis, saying horrible things, saying that he was having sex with underage girls, talking about his wife. Uh, DeSantis never fought back. He finally came into the race and refused to go low against Trump. The only way to handle a moron like Trump is to absolutely punch him in the face. It's the only thing he understands. It never was done. DeSantis is gone. I don't think it makes a difference who the Republican candidate is, because I think that the mail-ins, the votes that are going to be coming in in droves, they were badly abused in the last election. Of course, who was the one that signed into law to allow, uh, make it easier for people uh, to vote that way was obviously Donald Trump. So he's getting hoisted on his own petard. There's no chance that he can win the the general election because independence, they, you know, most people besides his MAGA base view him as too toxic, that the country was too unstable when he was president. And now we're going to hear a year of all of his bad behavior, the January 6th stuff, the document stuff. You know, I just don't see it possible that he's going to get the independent vote. And you've got a guy like Joe Biden, who's barely alive, barely conscious, but whether it's going to be him and whether he's going to win and then uh, resign and allow uh, Kamala Harris to be president or Gavin Newsom's going to come in, whatever it's going to be, a Democrat is going to win. And the it's it's important because this is a crucial time in our history. Frank, we're going to have another 10 million illegals crossing the border if a Democrat wins the next election on top of the what? 
uh, seven or eight million that's going to come during these last four years, it's an utter disaster. It transforms the country. And what I don't understand, and I'll never really fully understand, Frank, is what is the love affair between the MAGA Republicans who consider themselves, I mean, in fairness, they consider themselves family values and strong conservative values. Trump is pro-choice. He's pro-amnesty for illegals. He's for the vaccine, and he's still pushing it. And we know how bad the vaccine was. He gave Fauci uh, the keys to the country. He gave him a presidential uh, commendation and lied about it. He shut down the country, which killed small businesses. Uh, and then he had unprotected sex with a porn star. These are not, again, the MAGA wake up and pray up types of values that I would normally consider. I don't understand the love affair. I don't understand how they could back someone who lies to their face saying that he didn't give Fauci the commendation and he didn't close down the country. This didn't happen 79 years ago, Frank. This happened three years ago. We all know what happened to the country. We were all there and we know who was responsible for it. So I don't get it. But at this point, I'm tired of uh, complaining about it. It's not going to make a difference. What I would say to the people that are insisting upon this vote, that are insisting upon pushing someone uh, for the nomination who cannot and will not win, you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. And when it happens, don't come crying to me because I warned you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of Trump, he not only has the New York case with Alvin Bragg, the two federal indictments that you alluded to, but this uh, Georgia racketeering case where he's got multiple co-defendants. One of the people that's his co-defendant is Mr. Rico himself, Rico Suave, Mayor Giuliani, who, as U.S. attorney, was really the first one to use the expansive powers of the Rico Act beginning in the 1980s. And a lot of people that were prosecuted by Giuliani or by subsequent U.S. attorneys that were following Giuliani's model, they are pointing to this as a little bit of karma. Obviously, some other people that have been on the receiving end of a bad RICO prosecution, they say, all right, this is still just another bad RICO prosecution. How do you view uh, Rudy Giuliani's prosecution under RICO? Obviously, this is a state RICO statute, a little bit different than the federal RICO laws, but the the principle is still the same. Is this uh, Rudy getting his comeuppance on the RICO issue? Well, I mean, I think Rudy, once he threw his lot in with Trump, his life has gone completely downhill since. I, mean, I think we can all agree upon that. Um, he's been ordered to pay 200 and something thousand dollars in sanctions to the mother and daughter election workers in Georgia by a, a D.C. judge. He can't afford it. He didn't pay. He stiffed his lawyer for one point four million Trump refused to raise any money for him, give, giving him money, then claimed that he was going to have a hundred thousand dollar ahead uh, fundraiser at his uh, idiotic golf course. And despite Andrew Giuliani claiming that a million dollars was raised, he paid ten thousand dollars to his lawyers a few days after and stiffed it to election workers. Who on earth would give a hundred thousand dollars to that drunk idiot? It's impossible oh, to imagine man. anybody is that it, stupid. So, uh, in terms but of as the far as prosecution, yeah. um, you know. I don't know that I consider it comeuppance because it's a completely unrelated thing. 
But look, Rudy, you know, it's, it's hilarious, frankly. He was a dishonest prosecutor. He got reversed a zillion times. Um, and now he's got a five-year mandatory minimum if he's convicted. I don't think that he and Trump will be convicted uh, because I believe that there are enough people in Georgia that are conservative, and if they just have one on the jury, that'll be enough to stop uh, a conviction. Even in Fulton County? Even in Fulton County? Even think? in Fulton County. There's going to be one, probably. You remember Steve Bannon wasn't convicted at the first trial. He had one crazy juror that refused to even discuss the evidence. It took him the second trial before he was convicted. So I don't know that either one of them are going to be convicted. But my God, here what I have to say, Frank, is this is a guy that the, the legal fees for that case, that case could last six, seven, eight months. The legal fees could be millions of dollars. Rudy doesn't have it. It's, you know, in a way, it's kind of sad. Nobody likes to see an older guy suffer. I mean, even well, especially he uh, even if you have an issue with him as a prosecutor, he was America's mayor. He did turn around New York City. You know, he, he, he turned around New York City. I, I don't even consider what he did for 9-11 because I think that was just optics. But New York City was a disgusting, dangerous place. And the city needed Rudy, Rudy Giuliani like nobody's business. He was he turned the city around. He cleaned it up. Of course, now it's back to where it was because we've had one liberal mayor after another completely destroy the city. So I consider it sad in a way what Rudy's going through. I don't want to see an older guy suffer like this. But the idea that Trump, like one of his closest friends in the world, can't simply reach into his pocket and give him a few million dollars for legal fees to pay off all of his issues instead of humiliate, watching him get humiliated publicly, it's almost impossible to believe when you consider that Trump is a multi-billionaire. Frank, $5 million. And aside from that, he's raised $70 million for his defense which and the defense of others, which he can use. He doesn't even have to tap into his own personal wealth. Well, God forbid, you can't expect Trump to, to pay for his legal fees on his criminal cases by himself, even though he's a multi-billionaire, he's got to get it from people like you and me and other morons that are actually giving him the money. One of his aides has a child custody case that's going on in Florida. He used the money that was donated to Trump for Trump's legal fees. He used that to order transcripts on the case. This is how far-fetched it is. But Rudy Giuliani isn't getting any of it. And you have to say this, it's sad. And what I would say is, if that's how he's treating his best friend, how the hell do you think he's going to treat you? Uh, we're almost out of time. Two issues I have to ask you about before we run out of time here. Uh, I don't know of a single person more critical of radical Islam than you and the nation of Iran specifically. Uh, Iran passed a, a new mandate last week getting strict on hijabs, really cracking down, making sure all women were wearing hijabs. At first, they face a fine, and then they get five years in prison after a second offense. Uh, Is this an indication that Iran is entering into a newer, gentler, new age style of governance? Well, this has been going on for a year. It's been the one-year anniversary since they beat a 21-year-old Kurdish woman to death for wearing uh, her, her hair wasn't covered quite well enough. It was covered, but the, the covering was a little bit loose. They're complete psychotic killers. And I'll give Trump uh, credit for the fact that he was tough on Iran. And you've got Joe Biden, who just gave him $6 billion last week. What do you think the money's being used? It's being used to kill their own citizens and kill Americans and kill our allies. So the only thing that can be done is if we're unwilling, we don't have a stomach to starve them or attack. I mean, we, frankly, if it was up to me, they're lucky that I'm not in the White House because I'd be nuking on day one.
I'd be dropping two nukes on Tehran. I apologize for the innocent Iranians that will be killed. It's very sad. But there is no longer a single reason why anybody on this planet should be held hostage by these complete and utter filthy maniac Muslim terrorists. Nuke, there's a reason you have nukes, Frank. It's not just to scare people. They want the nukes. We can give them the nukes. It just may not be in the form that they are looking forward to. (laughs) Uh, lastly, Jeffrey, I know uh, you got a, a brand new edition of Beyond the Legal Limit coming out this week. A lot of hot button issues, including some of the ones that we've talked about, um, you're going to expand upon. How do you like doing a podcast as compared to live radio? You've done a lot of live radio and now you've become pretty prolific on the podcast front. W- which do you like better? How do they compare to one another? Well, I think that the radio is a little more dangerous and I enjoyed that. Plenty. I loved watching uh, the low paid uh, program directors lose their mind because they couldn't understand fully what I was trying to say on the radio. They weren't sure if I had said something wildly inappropriate. Always I did say something wildly inappropriate. They just couldn't (laughs) understand it. So I did enjoy the live nature of it. Uh, But the podcast does give me a little more freedom. I do have a potty mouth, as you know, and it allows me to curse a little bit more. And I've got more control. I don't have, like I said, I don't have an underpaid, excuse me, really an overpaid idiot telling me what I can and can't say. That's the best part of doing the podcast. It's all from me. Nobody can stop me. And look, with talk radio, as you know, it wasn't like I ever took any direction or ever edited my comments. I said what was on my mind because I didn't need the job. I didn't need the money. It was just a hobby. And I was basically daring them for however many years I did it for eight years. I was daring them to fire me every day. And that's what happened. Jeffrey, it is always a treat to talk with you. Always provocative. I appreciate the conversation very much. Thanks for having me again, Frank. Really appreciate it. Thank you. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Next time Jeff comes on, I'm hoping we can get him to really open up and not hold back so much as to his opinions. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.